Get ready for your daily dose of Tuttle. The all-time greatest uh, intern slash producer we've ever had, of course, Tuttle. Tuttle in Florida. It's Tuttle's Daily Podcast. Nice cock! Nice cock! Welcome back to another edition of the Tuttle Daily Podcast. Hope you guys are having a great day so far. I'm really honored and I'm also excited about these next two people that I'm going to have on because this is a project that is near and dear to my heart. I've, I've dealt with things in my past that have happened. I'm not ready to talk about it right now, but you guys know that I had my attempted suicide back in September. And I try to look at the good and the bad, mostly the good, because if you if you concentrate on the bad, it's just going to eat you up. But it made me realize that I, I did, I dealt with some trauma growing up, please. I, I don't want you guys to think that it's my mom or dad or anybody like that. <laughs> you got to clarify yourself. But these next two people that I'm going to have on, I got Aaron and I got Naomi Bradshaw. Now I've known Naomi for a while. I've always thought she is just this bigger and larger than life personality that that I've always known. And you know what? Her husband's actually a really cool guy and a dear friend to me as well too. So I'm I'm glad that I was able to connect with Naomi, and I was fortunate enough because I met Naomi that I was introduced to Aaron Sanders. Aaron, how are you, Aaron? Naomi, how are you guys? Great. <laughs> I'm I'm great. Very excited to be here. Now, just uh, this is something I've been curious about. Um, on your social media, you go by J. Aaron Sanders. What does the J stand for? Great question. It stands for Joseph, at, and my father goes by Joe, so mm -hmm. I was always called by my middle name. Um, but when you go by your middle name, every single day of your life, it comes up. So in the end, I decided to put the J out there, so it's J. Aaron Sanders. So I, I, I like it. I mean, it, it's, it's a great gimmick. Now, I got to tell you, Naomi, I've never met a Naomi before, though. Like, uh, that, it's a very unique name. Are, were you named after somebody? Well, it is even more unique because it's spelled phonetically. And for those of you who don't know what that means, that means you sound it out. Naomi. And uh, so that I've never actually met a Naomi before, except for one day when I was in the grocery store and there was a tiny kid. And her, <laughs> someone said Naomi, and I said, "Oh, that's my name." And her little brother said, "She spells it with an E." And I was like, "Oh my god!" I was so excited, <laughs> but I did not take a selfie with her because I thought that would be inappropriate. <laughs> so one of the things I want to talk about is that it's funny that not funny, but it's it, you. You don't realize what people's past stories are. I've I've known you for a while, Naomi. I re I really have, and when. And recently, uh, with this blog that you're writing right now, TracingTrauma.com, I highly suggest to check it out. I had no idea that you had to deal with that through your life. I'm starting to discover that, uh, how people view me, because I, before I didn't really have a very balanced view of the world myself or how others viewed me at all. I just assumed I was, you know, bad and everybody could see that clearly. <laughs> it was very, uh, you know, terrible way to think and live, you know, but now I understand, I can see things clearly because I've been sober for uh, 15 months now. And as time goes on and I learn more about trauma and its effects on the brain, and as my EMDR therapy, you know, continues to manifest itself in my life, I make good decisions in my life. So, you know, that's the best change, but nobody knew that unless they were in my close circle, my husband, Jack and my children saw the worst of me. And then the rest of the world saw what I let them, you know, like with Facebook. And that's kind of the reason I started writing my blog, you know, or wanted to write my book to begin with was because I just felt like they're was a lot of people out there in the world that had this facade and this front and this mask that they presented to the world and appeared to be quite high functioning. And yet behind that, there were, they were suffering. They were in hell. And, and, and nobody could, knew I was suffering until I was brave enough to open up and let them know the real story. 
Now, Aaron, I'm going to go to Aaron. Aaron, so before we get into your story, you're working, uh, you know what? Let, I want to talk about your story first before we get into the project because I, I really do think people need the backstory on why you're so passionate about this project that you're working on. Yeah, well, it started like in, I was born in 72 and in 1977. It was November 29th. It was the day after Thanksgiving. I grew up in uh, Salt Lake City and it was like a quiet neighborhood. You know, it was a time when you could just ride out on your big wheel with your friends and go to your friend's house. And it was, that's what was happening. I was with my friend and we were riding from my house to his house. And this guy just stopped us and he, you know, he, he knew my friend. That's one thing that's interesting. Is he knew Have you ever friend. met him before, though? I don't remember. That's the strange thing about the brain is that, I mean, I was five years old. I remember meeting him then. I don't remember ever seeing him before and only one time after. So it's kind of a, it's the brain marks things in interesting ways. So I do remember him saying, who's your friend, Roman? And, and I, I also remember this overwhelming feeling of not being able to get away from the situation. And so he pulled me on my big wheel into the garage and sent my friend home. And so, and he abused me in the garage and uh, we all know what that looks like. And, um, and I just, the other thing I remember, I remember a couple more things about that experience that are significant. Um, My brain shut off at a particular point. It's kind of like now, a. Is that a defense mechanism? I mean, is 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 that our way for our brain to protect us? It totally is. It's yeah. So it it does. It's an amazing. It's an amazing thing, really, when you think about it. But it shut down. So it's like this tape stops at a certain point. I remember the details, and then it just stops. And then the next thing I remember is my mother throwing open the garage door like a superhero and coming in and getting me. Uh, A a neighbor had seen this guy take me in. Some neighbor we don't know. I've tried to track her down, but she was like a teenager, 12 or 13 years old. And she called my mother on the phone. Like it was 1977. She had to look my mother up and you know, track her down, basically. It wasn't as easy as it is today. So it's remarkable to me that she did that. And and then my mother had to throw my brothers in the car and my aunt was there too. And they drove and they they like rescued me. So, and that experience, uh, it hardwired me in a particular way. Uh, it, It messed up my fight or flight mechanism so that certain experiences and patterns of events that would happen later in my life would trigger the same kinds of feelings that I felt when the guy stopped me. And now, how long was it before you openly talked about this? I mean, your mom, well, hold on, let, let, we'll get to that. But I, I want to talk about the project that you're working on, because that's the main goal here. I want to make sure that I'm able to help you out. So talk a little bit about your project. I'd like to hear from you and then and then Naomi as well, too, uh, just talking about this project and what it means to you guys. I'd love to. First of all, you can check out our project at garagemovie.com, just like it sounds. And there you can watch a little video about it. And, you know, it would be, we'd be honored if you'd consider contributing uh, in any amount to the project. Uh, When I was in my 40s, I lost control of my emotions, basically. It was like one day I couldn't control my emotions anymore. I was having panic attacks. Um, It's like my, I was a successful kind of normal-ish person. And then the wheels came off. Yeah. And I, I had no idea what had happened. And long story short, I got, I was diagnosed with CPTSD. I started getting treatment for that. I was in, I had two 72 hour holds in psych wards. And, and I did 11 days. I did 11 days on my last stint. Yeah. It's, we, <laughs> that's a whole, maybe that's another podcast to talk about that experience. But um, yeah. But when I came out of that first 72-hour hold, I was like, I cannot keep this in anymore. I shouldn't keep it in. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't do anything wrong here, and it's ruining my life. So I'm a writer, and I started writing about it. I started this blog, 72hourhold.com, and then I am also a, a, a script writer and an aspiring filmmaker. So at a certain point, it just made perfect sense to make 
a movie about this experience. And yeah. the, I'll no. just go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I just wanted to say like the, the, the image that began the movie was an image of my headlights on the garage where I was abused. And the reason that's such an important image for me is every time I went back to Utah and every time I still go back to Utah, I drive to the neighborhood, usually when it's dark, so nobody will see me. And I just sit there and stare at the garage and sort of, I just think about like how that thing changed my life so much. Like what an impact this had on me. And yeah. I mean, I, I can't even imagine. And it takes a lot of bravery to get out there and, and, and write something to, to like spill your guts the way that you're doing. But I, I want to go to Naomi. Naomi, now, can you talk a little bit about how you and Aaron met, um, how you guys connected and stuff? I know you touched on it briefly, but you've been writing your blog and you had mentioned this, that you were looking for somebody to help you out with your writing and stuff. Mm -hmm. Is that is that kind of how you guys met? Yeah, well, I had just recently joined Twitter, you know, because I, I, I didn't think anyone really wanted to hear me talk every three seconds about what I was thinking, you know, so I had resisted Twitter. And uh, the first week I was on there, William Shatner talked to me. So yeah. I just assumed that everyone in the world would talk to me if I were to send them a message. <laughs> so I was, you know, scouring the internet after my diagnosis. I also have CPTSD. But I had just found that out about two and a half years ago. And I was really confused. I didn't really know what it meant. Um, so I was just looking all over the internet trying to find some kind of a lifeline for me to understand what steps to take next to get healed because my whole life was in shambles. My husband was exasperated. My children were wishing that they could trade me in for another mom. <laughs> and it was just not good. It was, And I felt like a big piece of crap. So, you know, I found 72-hour hold actually – I, I believe it was through the Mighty. It could have been through that. I have an app on my phone, the Mighty, and it, it's a source where you can read a lot of inspirational articles about mental health and healing and things of that nature. And so I saw Aaron's post, and it was about, uh, and I can't remember the exact title, but you could probably tell me, Aaron, because I was looking for it today. It was about the, uh, what it's like to live uh, in a PTSD bubble or with PTSD or something like that. So I read it, and as I was reading it, I just realized, oh, my God, that's like what I do. You know, it's like suddenly I saw my behavior in the words of someone else. And I can't tell you how powerful that was in that moment to realize you're not alone. That, you know, because I, I just said really, as a child, when they're abused, they don't blame the abuser. They blame themselves. So I had this really messed up idea in my head that I was wrong and that I had to find a way to get right, you know, that I was just fundamentally wrong, you know. So when I saw those words, that was just a lightning bolt for me. And so I said, you know what, I need to ask. First of all, I was like, well, first of all, he's a, it's a blog. And I was trying to write a book, but I was about 22,000 words in. It was starting to seem like a giant mountain that I could not climb. So seeing a blog in those smaller increments, telling the story in that fashion was really appealing to me because I thought if I could chunk it down, maybe I could, you know, do the task and not give up because I do not like to give up. As a matter of fact, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I reached out to Aaron and I just asked, hey, do people read books anymore? <laughs> and, you know, what about a blog and how can I do this? And I gave him a brief history of me and a little couple sentences and he goes, you know, instead of, uh, you know, I could answer you right now here, but why don't we talk on the phone, which I thought was incredibly generous and trusting because <laughs> I could be a wacko. Who knows? You know, <laughs> so now, we started the conversation. Now, Aaron, Aaron, let, let me ask you this. And now I, I've, I've noticed this, that people that have been through trauma in the past are more, even though we were violated, people like us were violated and, and taken advantage of, but why, why are we so quickly offering help to help people? Why, why is that? Because you would think that somebody that's been through what people like the three of us have been, why, why do we do that? I mean, do you, do you have any idea? Well, 
I'm also in a 12-step recovery program uh, because addiction has been a big part of my life. I think, because, well. of the, I think because of the trauma. And I learned in, in the 12-step world that the best way to stay healthy is to help someone else. And I think I also was taught the same kind of principle growing up. And I, I also feel like as a writer, I feel like I have the unique ability to share my story uncensored and not be bothered by it. And so I feel like it's one thing I can do. And so I just believe, I call it radical disc disclosure. I feel like that there's healing in the hard truths of what happened to me. And, you know, so for me on my blog, for example, it was very important to not only share the mess, but to get to the solution. And so th that's a big part of, I mean, hopefully I'm not talking about this every day for the rest of my life, but right now I'm in it and I'm happy to do it because I can do it. Because I've also met many people who are simply not in the position to be able to talk about what happened to them for many reasons. There are many reasons that it can, you know, compromise a person. And for me, my story happened in such a way where I can talk about it freely without harming someone else. And so let me let me ask you, um, the it was a guy, right? That that. Mm -hmm. All right. So do you know what happened to him? Did he like, I'm, I'm yeah. just curious, like, do you do you know where he is? Is he still alive? Is he still around? I know exactly what happened to him. It was a very important part of my healing journey was to figure that out. And I wrote a blog entry called mm -hmm. Finding Corey about it. And he he's, I, I believe he committed suicide at 40. Yeah. And so I, it's interesting because I, of course, I have complicated feelings about him, but I imagine that he was also abused and, and, you know, lived what was obviously a difficult life. And so I have some compassion for that. I'm also kind of relieved that he's not alive. Oh, trust me. Oh, oh man. I, listen, oh, I, I would feel the same exact way. It's not that we're bad people, but man, I mean, you can't, you can't blame or judge anybody that would feel that way. Well, I feel that way about some person. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, we all do. We, we, we all do. But I mean, it, it's it's a weird situation because the three of us are are good people. I don't think we wish any ill will on anybody. But it's well, like the boogeyman is dead. You know that that's what it is. It's like you could go ahead and go to sleep now. You don't have but to. But they still nice live on anymore. though. They they still live on though from the memories and stuff that you have them. You you know they're never really ever going to be dead. No, we, I think we've landed somewhere really interesting in this conversation. I just want to say that because this is what a lot of people who have not gone through the, you know, who have not been abused, maybe don't understand. It's this, when you've been, you, for me, I'll speak for me. This was my first sexual experience at age five. And I essentially, I know people don't like to talk about it this way, but this man had sex with me. And that is quite a thing. And it, it has these far-reaching tentacles that you can't even imagine. And so one thing that happens immediately, and I know Naomi and I have, have talked about this a little bit, is the way it unloads shame on, onto you. And it, 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 gives, it hands you this big package of shame that you just carry around with you. But why, though? Why, why, why? You should not be ashamed. And I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I'm yeah. just trying to get into the psyche of why, though. There's no reason why anybody that was taken advantage of in their innocence, having their innocence taken away from them, to, to feel guilty about anything. Well, I, I'd love to hear what Naomi has to say. I, you know, first of all, I would say... doesn't know that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I would just say before I pass the baton that, um, you know... I don't know in a way. That's the weird thing about it is there's this intellectual understanding, which I've always had, that I did nothing wrong. I know I didn't do anything wrong. And there's this body, emotional, psychological kind of memory where I am so ashamed and embarrassed and confused, and I don't know what to do with that. 
Naomi? <laughs> well, I think and, also. And, 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 hold on. I, and please, if I'm asking anything that's uncomfortable, please let me know. But I've, I've been doing radio all my life. And and I I've always been inquisitive. So if I if I'm digging too deep or getting into anything, please just know like I I, I just because I, I I consider you guys friends and I don't want to do anything to offend anybody. So you're not. No. You're fine. Okay. Sorry, Naomi. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, no, no. You're not digging in. And that's why we're here is to talk honestly about these things. Like Aaron said, because we can, like, I've always been somebody who likes to connect with people and talk about things. And even though I too was aware of what happened to me when I was five years old and I was sexually assaulted, I remember all that, but I didn't process any of it uh, emotionally. You know, that's the thing is when these types of incidents happen to a young kid, they, their body and their brain separates. <laughs> and so you carry all that experience in your body and your brain is just like, la, 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 and kind of doesn't know what's up unless you get flashbacks and stuff. But, you know, I kind of carried these little stories with me, you know, and I, what was shameful to me was how my body reacted after it had been sexually violated, it became sexually activated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was behaving sexually at a, as a five-year-old, and that's inappropriate and strange. And uh, anybody's reaction in the 70s wasn't going to be as woke as it is in 2020. They're not going to seek out help for that little kid. They're going to say, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Stop doing that. You know, because if you're touching yourself or whatever, and that's like a natural stress response that a sexual uh, abuse victim, you know, might engage in. And in my case, I was doing that sort of thing and had no idea it was wrong or hurtful. I just knew it felt good and it took away stress. And, you know, so then I just thought, okay, I am bad. Everything that happened Every time I was victimized, it was like, okay, that tells me I'm bad again. It was just like a reinforcement time after time, each abuse saying, yep, I'm a piece of crap. I'm a piece of crap. And it was just, so even after two years of EMDR therapy, every Monday, revisiting the trauma and trying to get rid of that shame, I, it's still there. The blog has helped me so much at tracingtrauma.com. For me to process this stuff and help me put the story in a sequential order so I can make sense of it in my mind. That's why I'm writing the blog for myself, but also so maybe like what Aaron did for me, I could do that for someone else and help them to get on the path of healing so they can shed shame. Also, it's a process that can take the rest of your life, but I'm in it. On with me right now is Aaron Sanders and Naomi Bradshaw. Uh, tell everybody, Aaron, once again, where they can go if they want to donate to the, uh, the crowdfunding that you're doing right now. It's just garagemovie.com. So garagemovie.com. And everything's there. Um, I would like, it's interesting that we've moved into this space because it connects back to the movie itself, which is about a, a guy, it's based on my experiences, right before he gets the help he needs. And so it's, it's, a, it's a film in which the main character is haunted, like you said earlier, by his abuser and by his past. And he's He's barraged by these ghosts, basically, from his past, and he's tormented, and he's, he's doing everything he can do to get better, but he doesn't know how. And I think that Naomi can speak to this, too. Until I got my CPTSD diagnosis, I was throwing everything at this problem, and nothing was working. Like, talk therapy made it worse. I was trying Reiki. I was trying exercise, meditation. One week, I went to four different therapists. And I'm not, I'm not making that up. I went to four different therapists trying to get some traction because I knew what recovery looked like because of my alcoholism and drug addiction. And I was trying to find my way back into recovery, but nothing, including 
the 12 steps worked on trauma. Only Did they ever prescribe you? you? You said you were going to see a therapist. One of the problems I have is I feel like a lot of these therapists, psychiatrists, they, uh, they want to take the easy way out and just throw a bunch of pills down your throat. I, I really do feel that they do that. Uh, was, was that something you had to deal with at all? I, I did, I do have a medicine story. I mean, that's part of my, I, I mean, I would say that the people I was meeting with really wanted to help me. And there was a time when the, the antidepressant medication I was taking did help, but it had like a, it expired in a weird way. And, and they kept raising the dosage. And it was at a certain point where the dosage got high enough that it, it really created almost more problems. And I ended up in the psych ward. So I think that in general, I would say that the way we're understanding trauma now is that we're moving in beyond some medical, I mean, some traditional medical practices and finding more efficient ways of dealing with it. But I would just be quick to add very, you have to be very careful with medication, both by taking it or deciding not to take it. And for some people, it is the right I believe it's the right move and it's a very personal thing. But for me, I eventually worked off of medications and it it's better for me. <laughs> so No, it, it, it was for me. It Are was for medicine Tuttle? What's that now? Are you taking medication? Right now I'm not. I uh I off of everything. I was on re um antidepressants at the time. Uh-huh. And and I got off all of them because I was noticing that it completely made me lose interest in the opposite sex. It really did. I, for the longest time, I felt like, oh, I'm just concentrating on my work. I'm being responsible. And then when I got off the medication, I was like, holy crap, I've been missing out for a, little, a really long time. And you don't realize it while you're on it. I, I, I didn't. I'm not taking any medication. I got my medical marijuana card because I have insomnia. And, you know, but I also realized that you have to just be open to everything. Yes. Before I, I think each individual, you know, first of all, I'm not a medical professional. I just know some stuff about healing because of my own personal experience. Let me just say that. And and what I thought, and I have three daughters and each one of them is dealing with their own challenges. And I never wanted to tell them what to do. And I watched them navigate their own individual experience. And I can tell you that they were all three completely different. And they're seeking their, it it takes a while sometimes to figure out what works for you by trial and error. But for me, what works is regular exercise, a really good diet, uh, making sure that I have a therapist and counseling someone to talk to, you know, to bounce you know, all these things off. If, if I stay in this head, <laughs> not so good. If just me and by myself in there. No, no, no. So, yeah. And then also um, I have the medical marijuana card. I do the oils. I take them at night for sleeping uh, and also during the day, uh, depending on how freaked out I get. <laughs> and exercise, I think, is so, so important and consistency. And, hey, cuddle, sleep protocol. Cut I know we talked about this. We talked about this last night. That's that's the problem that I've been having as of late, not being able to sleep, and I don't even know what it is. And and the funny thing is, is it's probably something that has in the background of my mind that I don't even realize that's there, you know, bothering me right now. And and it's just so weird. You had a panic attack. Yes, did. So I, I think panic attacks are your mind's way of saying, hello, is yeah. anyone, I'm trying to tell you something. Because that's when my whole uh, downward spiral kind of started happening when I didn't know what was wrong. And I was just drinking like crazy. And was, I, it started with panic attacks. You know, and then eventually, you know, I realized when I do have that feeling coming on, It'll be when I'm not sleeping right, you know, when I'm burning the candle at both ends, when I haven't, you know, like all the things I mentioned that I put into place to help me, including having a freak out plan in case I freak out and what to do when that happens. 
You know, I didn't have all those things in place. All I had was fear and the unknown. So that's why garagemovie.com is where you should go right now because I want this movie to get made so bad because I just feel like this, that we have to have a bridge for other trauma survivors to come across. And I think the movie is that bridge, you know, for people to start the conversation about something that most people are afraid to talk about or it's too awkward. I mean, people just don't talk about things that are difficult sometimes. They need people like me and Aaron to start the conversation, you know? Yeah. Aaron, Aaron, I got to I gotta ask you about this. So with this pandemic, it's going down. I, I mean, pretty much Hollywood is shut down. Um, are you worried that this could delay things or do you have a plan? Because... I don't think it would be a, a big movie where you'd have a lot of people on set and stuff. And I think you could still do this, especially in the times that we're living. Well, it has delayed us already somewhat, but we used the time to make things better to keep uh, pushing the, the mission forward. And uh, our line producer uh, is confident that we'll be able to shoot it in November. Uh, and because we've been, it is opening up slowly and you do have to, there's a whole new set of like COVID restrictions and you, in fact, they've created a new department on sets for COVID. And so we'll, we'll do all of that. And, uh, but no, we're going to be able to do it and we'll have a pretty small crew, but it's still relatively big. Probably 30 people. I mean, can, can I ask this? So we're, we're talking about the crew and the set. How close are you going to, because it's called Garage the Movie, how much is that set, that garage, going to resemble your real-life experiences? I mean, do you, do, I mean, yes, you were talking about how the brain blocks things out. But I'm pretty sure in your brain somewhere, you can remember every single tiny detail of things in that garage, right? Yes and no. There's, there, I remember certain things. Like I said, I, I go to that garage all the time. Well, not all the time. Whenever I happen to visit Utah, I go there. So I, I have photos of the, the garage. And, but I don't, you know, I don't, Inside, I don't really remember a lot of details. Your body gets shut off at that point. Once you got to, yeah. got across that threshold, I mean, I re- realized it. Yeah, it was like it was your mind. Like, all right, time to go into protective mode. You know, uh, computer. You know how the computer, when you got something wrong with it, and it goes into safe mode and it's protect itself. It's, it's almost exactly how the mind and the body works. Yeah. So one interesting thing about the movie versus the experience is because I don't remember a lot of the details inside the garage in terms of like what was there and what wasn't there. uh, We have created a, a, like a surreal kind of like once the character goes into the garage, the feeling, the visual feeling of the movie is going to change into kind of a more of like a surreal dreamscape. And this is the space where his trauma is repeating itself over and over again. And this is the, this is this, this is the thing he has to stop. I mean, he's desperate to get that to stop. So I've, it's kind of interesting how the real memory of it, which is foggy and surreal in a way, uh, you know, connects to what what the viewer will see on the screen now this, I'm, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit because i talked about the guy that did these horrible things you did did he go to jail immediately like what i mean you said he had ended up committing suicide what what happened to him right after this well here's where things get really upsetting I, I'm going to get really angry. I am going to get so mad. I can already feel this. But well, b- well, buckle up. Uh, for years, for decades, I believed that he was arrested. Because 
the next day I, I, I mentioned earlier that I saw him, I remember seeing him one more time. And it was like the day after it happened, the police brought him to my house and into the carport to apologize to me. And apologize for something like that, though. I mean, I, well, I, here's, I man, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt. No. Well, but this is where it gets interesting because if you think about a five year old trying to tell an adult what happened in the garage, I didn't even know people did these things. So, what am I going to say? Like, I remember saying he kissed me, for example. And, but then I got really embarrassed about the other things. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I know. Yeah. The, so, so I, I don't know what kind of a report I gave them. Now, I'm not justifying that they didn't arrest him. They should have arrested him. I'm only saying that this is where these incidents get tricky because there's the, there's the what happened. There's the way it was reported. There's like what you can say and what you can't say. What can a five-year-old do and say? But I learned very recently, like, with, like a year ago, that he was in fact not arrested, but given a warning. And I also know that he abused my friend. I mean, I don't know this for sure. No, it could have been something. I, I, I that, yeah. that, that, that really pissed and but it pissed me the fuck off. I'm sorry. Um, I now was your friend after your your encounter or after or before or after? Well, I don't remember ever seeing my friend again. That's the weird thing about the brain. I know I did because I played with him. He was my friend for several years when I lived in that place. Um, but again, my mind kind of cuts those things off and it remembers just kind of this one thing. But uh, he's had a very tough life. And so I have not been able to contact him and I don't know that I will. because. Can, can, I, can, I, can I ask you guys a serious question? Do and I, I want to hear from Naomi. Do what is your opinion? Can these people that take advantage of kids that take away their innocence, we'll just call them straight up pedophiles, can they be rehabilitated? No. <laughs> I don't I really don't think no, they can. That's the answer. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I look. Uh, I would just preface this. I'm not a doctor or an expert in this field. And it is a field that makes people squirm the moment you begin to talk about it. And I mean, I feel like I can say something because I was abused. So, uh, but it's, I, I mean, I believe that it, it, I'll say this, it is the problem that we're not talking about in the right way and with the right tools. And well, then what needs to be done, though? I mean, and, 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 and instead of what needs to be done, do, do parents need to be more in, uh, attentive or like what needs to be done? Because there's a lot of parents that are the greatest parents in the world and you can't watch your kids all the time. You're, you, you just can't do it. What, what do we need to do? Because even if you like started giving the death penalty to these people that, that take advantage of kids, uh, it's already been proven that the death penalty is not a deterrent because if it was, we wouldn't have murders anymore. So I, I don't know. And then my dad, my dad also says chemical castration. And I told my dad, sometimes it's not about that. It's, it's a mind thing. It's that, that power and control that they get out of uh, taking away a kid's innocence. Well, I would just like, I don't feel uh, comfortable talking about what to do with the perpetrator side of things because I feel like that's the part of the conversation we're not able to have in a way that's really productive as a, as a culture at the moment. Uh, I will right, say- I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to like- No, 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 that's not what I mean. To, I, I don't, I'm not- uh, all I mean is that the, one of the questions you asked is like, well, what can we do? And I have a couple ideas about that. 
And okay. one, one is exactly the conversation we're having now. We're having a tough conversation about this issue. We're talking about it very openly. And the more we can do this, and I know that uh, both of you feel the same way, like the more we can get this stuff out there and make it less shameful, that's going to do a lot. And it's going to set up parents and, and other people, uh, people to help children be more safe, to understand what's out there, to be more proactively safe. Um, and it will also, I think, create a situation where we're able to more productively deal with the problem that you were talking about, though I have no idea really how to do that. So they, I, but please, Tuttle, don't take, I'm not, uh, I think all the things you say are, are, are the things we should be talking about. So this is amazing. I mean, yeah, it's our great. job, though. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Emily. I was just saying you've been asking some great questions. Well, thank you. Thank you. Because I've been thinking about this. And, and I've always had the mindset that when you're doing this type of stuff, you have to ask the uncomfortable questions. And, and I'm also afraid that people are going to look at my questions as I'm trying to be titillating or I'm trying to be shocking or anything like that. I'm, I'm really not. Because I, I think people don't think about what these kids have gone through, uh, what toll it takes. You, you, you take away their innocence, uh, their experiences on how they're supposed to mature as, as a child into adulthood. And, and I think one of the main problems that face, faces kids now is that they're growing up way too fast. I, I, I really do because, you know, I mean, I, I grew up in the 90s. Uh, I didn't learn everything the way that I, I should have, but I can only imagine if I had the internet or all these people or other ways that these uh, predators can, can, can take advantage of people. Naomi, I was like, uh, I think all we can do as far as protecting children, as far as what I can do personally, is um, continuing to speak. Um, if I, you know, the children in our lives, if we teach them their bound, the boundaries of their bodies and the fact that that it belongs to them, you know, and not a lot of that shame about your body is unnecessary. And I think counterintuitive to empowering a child. You know, letting them know that your body is wonderful, it belongs to you, and uh, other people are not supposed to be uh, touching it. And a lot of this is grooming that happens before these, you know, uh, assaults happen, where the, the person, you know, gets the kid's trust and gives them presents. And, you know, there's so, but there's so many different kinds of ways it can happen, too. So there, there's not really any one Band-Aid or one fix for this kind of a problem because it's so far reaching and in so many different kinds of scenarios, you know, all I know is that talking about it and educating ourselves about healing is so important in our feelings and, and experiencing those in a healthy way. That is the key to that, you know, because when you don't have the feelings inside of you healthy, you know, and in order, and you don't know how to express yourself, then you just have all of that negativity, all of that sadness, all of those terrible things that happen to you inside your own head, just <laughs> boiling around. It's like a torture chamber in there. But when you can finally get a chance to talk to other survivors and hear your story in their voices, then suddenly all that craziness just pauses and you're able to start untangling those wires and figure out your healing path. And I, I'm well on my way and I'm so dang grateful for that, that I want to pass the information of healing on to others. And when I heard about Aaron's movie, then I, that's why I wanted to become involved as associate producer, because I knew that this would be a way to reach the most people and to do the most healing. Yeah, I mean, I listen. I've known you for a while, and, I, and listen. I'm not just 
putting you up on a pedestal, but Aaron is very fortunate to have met you because with your resources and the people that you've been able to meet as an entertainer here in Central Florida, you got a lot of connections, and, and I really do think that it's a uh, match made in heaven to get this project done. I Look, I could... I couldn't agree more. Like we're so fortunate to have Naomi on our team and like, we just pinch ourselves every day. Like she's a superstar and she's brings such a great energy and a passion for this topic. And it's very meaningful to me that the way we met, you know, because I'll just, when I started writing my blog, you know, I didn't know if anyone was ever going to read it. I was, I started writing it to, because I was writing for my life because I also have a suicide attempt. And I, yeah. I was like, this shit is going to kill me if I don't do something. And so I was writing for my life. Eventually it grew into more than that. People started reaching out and telling uh, Linda, Linda does the blog with me. Linda is my very supportive fiance who saved my life, got me help and has just been incredible. And she's also the producer on Garage. But, but we had people writing to us, thousands of people telling us their stories that they couldn't tell someone else. And then when Naomi reached out to us and we made this connection, it was just so meaningful to then work together on the film because of the way we met. So, Aaron, I, 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 I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I want to have you on again before you at the end of the month to do another uh, big push for the movie. I, I want to see you guys reach your goals so badly. But you grew up in Utah, and this this was just a question that I had. Were you were you involved in, in the uh, Mormon religion? Uh, you know, everybody says Utah is there, and and the reason I ask that is. The thing that makes me the upset the most is how a lot of these people use religion to hide behind, to take advantage of kids. I was, I was raised Mormon. I'm no longer a Mormon, uh, but my family is Mormon, and being Mormon had nothing to do with this. I, I understand that, but it was, it, was, it was a leading into how... Yeah. The but Catholic just, Church, yeah, it, it, it does what they do and how they're able to get away with it, and it just makes me really angry. Maybe, maybe I'm a different type of person where I want to see these motherfuckers pay for their grievances. Now, is that wrong? Like, is that wrong? Is that unhealthy for me, though? Oh, I wouldn't presume to tell you how to feel about this because it is such a I mean, this has had more impact on my life, my experience, than anything that's ever happened to me. So, I, but I would just say that, yeah, there is a real tradition of, of powerful organizations like religion uh, using that power to, you know, hide information and abuse people. Yeah, all, that, all that's true. I was just saying that in my experience, it that it had nothing to do with it, but, oh, but, but, but can, all right, now I, this is going to, I'm just flooring. This is going to be an uncomfortable question. Do you think that your family being involved in the Mormon church, maybe they didn't want what happened to you out there because they're like, that's going to make the family look bad or, or, or whatever. Cause you said you didn't know if he had went to jail or not. Well, that, it's a fair question, but it's, again, it's just not true in my case. My, my parents have, tr you know, you have to keep in mind, it was 1977 when it happened, and we just didn't know what we knew now, but they did everything they could to help me heal. And even until this very day, while it's very difficult for my mother, for example, to revisit this issue, she has been nothing but supportive of my healing journey. And they're an amazing, uh, voice for for me and and what happened so they uh it's just my experience was different now i do have i mean i have friends who have that religious experience whether it's with catholics or other religions including 
some Mormons too. So it, what you're talking about is a real problem. It's just not my experience. I, and I apologize. I, I really do. I, I just want to touch all bases because there's a lot of angles. This is a very complicated situation uh, for, for many people, not only the victim, but their spouses, their, their loved ones, their mother, their fathers. Um, and, and it was just a question, and, and I hope I didn't, like, cross any lines. No, no, I'm just, I think the questions are fair, and I've, I'm just, spe- you know, Naomi and I have talked about, as advocates for this, all we can do is share our experience, and so that's just my experience. I, you know, one of the things that makes my situation unique, I believe, is that I have such supportive people in my life that have allowed me to step forward into and share as much as I have about this. It's my, my parents, my siblings, uh, Linda, my fiance, her family, and her siblings have all created a safe space for me to do what I need to do. And I know yeah. that Naomi's husband is the same, but I'll let her say it. <laughs> yeah, well, I have a little smaller circle because in my case, my um, abuser, well, one mm-hmm. of them, is still alive. Mm. So, you know, half of the family is kind of like, well, we're going to just hang out with him. And the other half is, you know, with me. But I am so appreciative with all the people that have, you know, believed in me, give, you know, and, you know, let me tell my story. I'm also mindful. I'm not wanting to be, you know, from a place of hate or revenge. You know, everything is from a place of love and healing. I think that is really important when it comes to this subject. A lot of people talk about revenge and, you know, justice and things of that nature. Um, You know, but what is broken will always be broken. You can put it back together, (laughs) like in my blog, (coughs) (laughs) facingtrauma.com. It's my golden repair. You know, you put it back together, but it will always be, that that thing happened. It changed me forever, you know. But it's okay because I'm taking that and making it into something that can help other people. And that's yeah, the beauty of it. Revenge, revenge is never going to make you feel better uh, for somebody to pay for it. But the way I look at it is, and and why I look at it this way is that what if this person that took advantage of you, you could prevent them from doing it to somebody else. That's, that's, that's how I look at it. Um, is revenge going to make me feel any better? No, but I don't want to see anybody ever go through what one of us did. though. Well, well, yeah. Who, who could disagree with you there? That's, that's of course we don't, that's, that's the challenge, right? I mean, so, I would separate like kind of revenge from safety uh, and just, you know, it would have been great if the guy that abused me had been arrested and gotten the help that he needed. And whether that I won't speak to what that would be, but if he had somehow been removed from this, you know, from that community at that time, because I'm certain that he probably, I certain, I I imagine he did it to others after. So. All right, last question, and I, and I want to hear both sides because it's obviously we all know Naomi is a very beautiful woman, strong-willed, and you're a man. Um, I want to hear the differences because I've read some stuff you've talked about. Abuse is abuse. I, I'm not saying one abuse is, is worse than the other. It, it, abuse is abuse, uh, and, and it's about how it affected that, that person. but. What are some of the things that men that deal with abuse have to go through that are different from a woman? Well, as again, I like how you set it up, like abuse is abuse. And I, I think that, um, you know, one, you know, one person doesn't have like a heavier load than another when it comes to this issue necessarily, but they 
there can be some unique challenges. And I think for men, uh, codes of masculinity, the way we're taught to be men, uh, it's, it really can get in the way. Now, I'd be interested to hear what Naomi says about this for women, but it can really get in the way of just talking about it. And, and for, it, you know, for so many men, they're like, no way, not talking about it. But as, as we, uh, you know, for me anyway, that was going to lead to death. And, and, and I don't mean to cut you off, but like, and this is once again, I like you and I don't want to offend anything, but did it ever make you confused with your experience about your, your sexuality or, or, or what you like were, were into, if, if that makes sense. And, and I apologize because I can see where that would mess up a young boy about not knowing what you're, what you're into. Are you heterosexual? Or, or, or other, you know, it, well, it does, you know, that every male survivor I've talked to talks about a time in their life where, where they're wondering, like, how did the abuse, did it have an effect on my preferences? And I've heard it from both from gay men, straight men, bi men, you know, it, Everyone I've ever talked to wonders if their sexuality was impacted by the abuse. And uh, so it's, a, it's, part of, it's part of the experience of healing to, to you know, confront you know, issues of identity and uh, sexual preference and all of those things. Now, there's also wrapped up into that you know, hypersexuality, and then like, I can't remember what the opposite is, but where some people respond by just being so sexual, it's like a problem for them. Uh, and then some people have, are not able to be sexual at all. And so there's all of this stuff that is wrapped up into it. So I did have a period uh, in my, when I was in college, where I was uh, very, confused about about it but um but luckily i mean i feel like very comfortable now with it okay i i know that was a tough question i i <laughs> i'm sorry but it, the, like i said these things are things that need to be thrown out on the table for everybody to see i i really do that was I, a good question yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a very good question. It comes up in like my male survivors group all the time. Mm -hmm. Like it's one of the central parts of the experience. Mm -hmm. It's like these questions. So go ahead, Naomi. Uh, yeah, I want to hear from the female side. Like I said, because it's two separate, um, two separate, not different experiences, but men and women deal with it different ways. Right. Well, in my experience, um, my case of abuse is a little different in that my sexual assault when I was five was kind of like, if that would have been the end of it, then I wouldn't have all of the problems that I do because a lot of my problems stem from the ongoing abuse of emotional nature, of physical nature, uh, and, and of, of abandonment that occurred at the hands of my father and stepmother. And so that's, as you go through the blog, it'll be coming out little by little. And yeah, I'm kind of learning about some of the stuff myself as I go. But that being said, the sexual assault itself affected me uh, as a female in that uh, trust issues. I have yeah. a lot of trust issues with uh, females because I tried to tell some females and they d failed to help me. I tried to tell my mother she did not help me. So I have a lot of trust issues with females as a result. Um, and of course, with men, um, because I was sexualized so early, my whole idea of what a woman is was impacted by that. And I had this idea that I had to be over-sexual 
I had to push my bosoms up to my nose and I had to be, you know, very in your face sexual. And I used that as kind of a defense mechanism to keep people away also, you know, so it just kind of really warped my sense of self and not just on a sexual level, because really, if you think about it, our sexual selves is a very small part of who we are as a human being, you know, (laughs) it, it, I think so anyway, you know, it's there and it's part of us, but I mean, it's just one of the colors of rainbow, you know? (laughs) So it's just the trust to me, the most earth shaking aspect of the sexual assault. It just, when you always think the world and the earth is going to be under your feet, you know, that's why earthquakes are so frightening to me. (laughs) And for the sexual assault for me was an earthquake. And that's when everything just opened up and everything changed. And I began to fear the world. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Aaron and Naomi, I cannot thank you guys enough for coming on with me. I think this is a, a great connection that you guys have bonded with each other and, and helping each other out and, and using each other's experiences and, and resources to accomplish a common goal. And, and I really think that you guys are doing that. So um, I, I really think, you know, I, I try to do the type of radio that is entertaining. I like to give people an escape because a lot of people are going through bad times right now. But this is one of those times, these stories, these topics that come up that have to be discussed. It's, it's almost my responsibility as a broadcaster or a content provider to be able to get this out. And, and I think that this is something, even if it's just one or two people that listen to this podcast and it helps them, makes them feel better about what happened to them, I, I, I can look at that as a win-win. It's awesome. You're doing a great thing. You are. It was a... A really, a really good, thoughtful conversation about the topic. Like we really got into some places that don't get talked about enough. So I thank you for that. Yeah. All right, guys. Tell everybody once again, uh, Naomi, how people can find your blog and the movie. Uh, and and Aaron, if you have any closing words, I'd like to hear from you as well too. Uh, go ahead, Naomi. Okay, my blog is at tracingtrauma.com on all social media platforms, and that website is tracingtrauma.com. And I'm going to let Aaron do the honors for the movie. Go ahead, Aaron. Yeah. yeah so the, you can learn more about the movie at garagemovie.com, and we're just asking people to consider contributing in any amount. We're just so grateful for the support that we've received. And it's very humbling to receive this kind of support for a project that's so near and dear to our hearts. And we're going to use this film to continue this conversation as we've done today. And we feel that the more we talk about uh, child sexual abuse and other kinds of trauma, that we are going to really help a lot of people. So I think we can save them time is the way we've been talking about it, where if we can get them the help they need sooner rather than later, I mean, how amazing would that be? So, All right, guys, I really appreciate it. Check out Garage, it's garagemovie.com. Garagemovie.com, make sure you check it out. It's a great, great project, and I think it's going to bring a lot of awareness to what's plaguing our country right now that that people don't want to talk about. They don't want to talk about the bad things that happen behind the scenes. They, They want to ignore it because people don't like to hear what happens to people on a daily basis, and I think you guys are doing great work. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening to the Tuttle Daily Podcast. Hey, don't be a dickhead. Do us a favor. Share, like, and subscribe to the show. Also, check out the Tuttle category at 315live.com. The Tuttle Daily Podcast was brought to you by... 
Total Wireless of Palm Bay, StitchYouUp.com, PocketPairClub.com. Special thanks to show intern Hannah and Charlie Alamo for their contributions. Additional imaging and production is provided by CCA Productions. Facebook.com slash CCA Productions presents. Show voiceover services brought to you by jcvoiceoverservices.com. That guy's got a goddamn sexy voice. You should hire him. If you want to help support the show, paypal.me slash Tuttle on the radio. Comments? Concerns? You want to let Tuttle know he's being a dick? Go to Tuttle at gmail.com. To follow all of Tuttle's social media, go to Tuttle.net. That's Tuttle with two Ds dot net. Thanks again for all your support, and we'll see you tomorrow on the Tuttle Daily Podcast. Yo, Terry, fuck going on?